Well, as you could probably imagine, I'm being pretty intentional about what I preach as we make our way through this final year together. What are the most important things to talk about before I go? What does Grace Chapel need to hear in this particular season? So back in August, we talked about change, how to navigate the transitions in our lives and church. We spent September and October in the book of Genesis, revisiting the foundational truths about God, humanity, relationships, and the life of faith. For Advent this year, we'll be focusing on peace, a pretty fitting theme for the troubled times we're living in. And we'll spend the winter season with Jesus in the Gospel of Mark, one of my favorite books in the Bible. I've got 20-some messages left to give, and I want every one of them to count. But when it comes to sermon topics, there are at least three that people, most people would rather not hear sermons about. Topics that when I preach on them, I can feel the room tense up. Can you guess what the three are? Money, sex, and politics. Well, we covered sex a few weeks ago, so I can check that one off the list. Since I'll be done in May, I won't be preaching through the 2024 election, so I may get away without a sermon on politics. But that still leaves money for us to talk about. I'm not sure how you feel about that, but I'm glad for a chance to teach about money before I go for two very important reasons. The second most important reason, I'll start there, the second most important reason I'm glad to be speaking about money is that I care about the future of Grace Chapel. I want Grace to flourish after I'm done, to to see and do even greater things than we've seen and done together. I, I want my successor to have every chance to succeed, to fulfill the vision that God puts on all of your hearts. So I want to do whatever I can to set the church up well financially before I go. Now, I'm happy to say that, that in the big picture, Grace Chapel is in a strong financial position. From an accounting perspective, we have low debt, valuable assets, adequate reserves, and a decades-long track record of financial viability. Our, our outside auditing firm consistently gives us high marks on our financial systems and accounts. But from an operational perspective, in terms of making and meeting our budgets from year to year, we're running behind. When COVID hit, our giving fell off about 15%. And while we've been working our way back year by year, we still have not caught up to pre-COVID giving levels. Now, we've gotten by these past few years with the help of some government assistance, by trimming back some of our programming, and by drawing a little bit on our reserves. But that's not a sustainable model as we go forward. We want to work our way back to full programming, and and we want to reach and serve even more people with the gospel of Christ. A couple of weeks ago, we announced the potential sale of our three militia drive office building. Now, we believe it's a strategic move in the changing landscape of church ministry and remote work. If it goes through, it will be a great financial blessing for the church. But those funds are still a year or more away. 
And if they do come through, they'll be used for some critical capital projects and to replenish our reserves, not for operating expenses. Rule number one of financial planning is that you can't live beyond your means. And we're committed to that as a church. Which means we have to increase our general fund giving if we want to sustain our current ministry and grow in the years to come. So that's the second most important reason I'm glad to be talking about money and stewardship this fall. I care about Grace Chapel's future. But the first most important reason I'm glad to be preaching on money is that I care about the state of your soul. As a pastor, as a shepherd, I'm committed to nurturing your personal relationships with God, meeting you wherever you are on your journey of faith, and helping you take your next steps, following Jesus, becoming the person he's calling you to be. And after 39 years of pastoring people, I know from scripture and experience that one of the best things you can do for your soul is to become more generous with your financial resources. Jesus was the ultimate shepherd, and he said it as plainly as he could. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You cannot serve both God and money. So for the sake of Grace Chapel's future, and for the sake of our souls, for the next few weeks, we're going to be exploring what Scripture has to say about finances and giving, stewardship, as we often describe it. Now, today, we'll get the big picture of why money is so important to our souls and to the work of the kingdom. Next week, your campus pastors will be speaking very practically and personally about how to become a better steward and a more generous person. And in two weeks, on Thanksgiving weekend, we'll conclude the series by celebrating Grace Chapel's 75th anniversary and by inviting every one of us to take a next step on our generosity journeys. It's going to be a great series. If you're still feeling uncomfortable about it, just be glad we're not spending three weeks on politics. All right? We're calling the series Seeds of Grace for reasons that will become obvious in a minute. So let's begin today by looking at some intriguing stories Jesus told in Mark chapter 4, and we'll begin at verse 2. He taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60, or even 100 times. Now, a few quick thoughts about parables before we dive into this one. Parables are often described as earthly stories with heavenly meanings. They're, they're made-up stories drawn from everyday life situations that illustrate spiritual truths. They're not 
true stories in the sense that they actually happened, but they are truth stories in the sense that they teach us something about how things work in the kingdom of God. Uh, chances are we have all heard many sermons on this parable, often referred to as the parable of the sower and the seed, or sometimes the parable of the soils. It's generally understood to be a parable about what happens when the gospel is shared with people. Uh, in the verses that follow here, Jesus explains that the seed represents the word of God, the gospel, the good news of the kingdom. And the soils represent the hearts of people who receive that word. Sometimes the seed falls on bad soil and little or nothing comes of it. But when it falls on good soil, that seed can produce a bumper crop. Now, right about now, some of you are probably asking what this parable has to do with money, since Jesus himself tells us it's about the word or words of God. And that's certainly true. But I'd like to suggest that there's something bigger going on here, that a larger kingdom truth is being taught. Uh, this appears to be the first parable Jesus told. It's one of the longest parables he ever told, and it's one of the few parables that Jesus interprets very in a very detailed way for the disciples. So, so many scholars suggest that this is an archetypal parable, that it sets up all the other parables and introduces some fundamental truths about how things work in the kingdom of God. And one of those truths is that gospel seeds need to be sown generously. Let's take a closer look here, and, and, and you'll see what I mean. The parable begins, A farmer went out to sow his seed. So we get the sense that the farmer is being very intentional here. This isn't a casual or accidental activity. Uh, the story goes on. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Now, at this point, we find ourselves asking, what kind of farmer is this? Tossing his seed willy-nilly all over the place, hardly paying attention to where it lands. It seems kind of careless, doesn't it? Reckless, almost. Seeds cost money, <laughs> and they're fragile enough as it is. Wouldn't a wise farmer sow his seed more carefully? It's such a puzzling thing that some interpreters have tried to rationalize the farmer's strange behavior, suggesting that his plan all along was to till the soil after he scattered the seeds so they would be nicely nestled in the soil and have a chance to grow. Something must have happened, they say, that prevented him from doing that, and so some of the seed failed to bear fruit. But that seems to be reading an awful lot into what seems to be a pretty straightforward story. And Jesus offers no critique about the way the farmer sows the seed. On the contrary, he seems to celebrate the farmer's sowing, which produces a bumper crop. Interpreters tell us that the average yield of a sown field would be about sevenfold. So when this farmer gets a yield of 30 or 60 or 100-fold, there's something to be learned from this farmer and his methods. And one of the things to be learned is that gospel seeds have incredible potential. 
If, if the seeds that survived yielded that kind of harvest, those are some pretty special seeds. And while Jesus describes those seeds as the word or words of the gospel, I think you can make the case that the seeds represent any gospel activity or effort. Sometimes we sow gospel seeds with our words, telling people who Jesus is and what he's done for us. But sometimes we sow gospel seeds with our actions, showing people who Jesus is and, and what he's done for us. And one of the truths this parable is illustrating is that seeds of the gospel have incredible potential. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. Uh, the truth I want to call attention to here is that gospel seeds, whether words or deeds, need to be sown generously. This crazy farmer flinging seeds all over the place is teaching us something about how things work in the kingdom of God. Now, I am no farmer, believe me. The, the only seed sowing I do is to plant some grass seed every spring. Now, I know spring seems like a long way off right now, but just hang with me for a minute. Every spring, homeowners try to patch up their lawns by scuffing up some of the bare spots and tossing some grass seed on it. I don't know how you do that, but, but, but when I do it, it goes something like this. I grab a handful of seed and, and sprinkle it kind of sparingly on the scuffed up spot, remembering how much I paid for that seed and, and wanting to be sure I don't run out. But then after I look at the spot for a moment, I, I notice there's some places where there doesn't seem to be quite as much seed, so I sprinkle a little bit more on just, just to be sure it's spread evenly. And then I kind of spread a little more and Eventually, I tell myself that that's enough. It's time to move on. And then just before I turn to go, I grab another handful and just throw it out there just to make sure. Here, here's what I'm getting at. You, you can't be stingy when you're sowing seed because you can't predict which seeds will make it and which ones won't. You can't control the birds or the weather or the kids tromping all over it. All you can do is sow as many seeds as you can and hope for the best, knowing that the more seeds you sow, the more likely it is that some of them will grow. Gospel seeds need to be sown generously. Well, by now, you're probably figuring out where I'm going with this. If the seeds in this parable represent gospel words and gospel actions, I believe they can also represent gospel gifts, financial resources that we share directly with people in need, or resources we use to support others who are sowing seeds by words or actions. And for the sake of this series, we're calling those financial gifts seeds of grace. I love the visual we have for this series here. I like to imagine each one of those seeds representing a gospel word, a gospel deed, or a gospel gift, falling to the ground to bear fruit for the kingdom. And what we're learning here on this first Sunday in the series is that seeds of grace need to be sown generously. When we give financially to God's work, whether it's through our church or some other ministry or organization, we want to give like this farmer, freely, generously, almost recklessly. Now, 
generally speaking, I believe in intentional giving, being thoughtful and strategic. So, so I'm not suggesting that we should be careless or foolish in our giving. But we don't want to give sparingly, as, as if we're afraid that God can or won't provide for us. Once the farmer made the decision to sow this field, he made sure he covered every inch of it, not, not knowing where every seed would, would land or which ones would take hold or which ones would bear the most fruit. He was willing to trust God with the seed and with his own needs. Now, I realize this, these may feel like challenging times in which to give generously. The stock, stock market is performing poorly. Inflation is still with us. There's uncertainty in the air. It's a challenging time for younger generations. Many of them are carrying heavy student loans, having to spend higher and higher percentages of their income on housing. And it's challenging for older generations too, facing the, the rising cost of health care, Retirement portfolios yielding less than they were hoping for. So we certainly need to be thoughtful and intentional about our giving. And next week, we'll talk more about how to do that. But this parable reminds us not to give in to a scarcity mentality, a fearfulness that we might not have enough. This farmer seems to not be worrying about that. I picture him joyfully walking up and down the field, flinging his seeds in every direction. He knows the terrain is unpredictable and the future is uncertain. So he sows as many seeds as he can, everywhere he can, in hopes of an abundant harvest. And when we give with that kind of generosity, it not only brings a, a joy and a freedom to our giving, it increases the likelihood of a harvest. Uh, this parable got me thinking about how many seeds of grace get sown every week here at Grace across all of our campuses. How many times a Kidstown worker tells a child that God loves them. How many times a high school or middle school leader watches a kid's soccer game or school play just to let them know they matter. How many times a small group leader says to a group of people, let's open up our Bibles? How many times one of our social media posts is opened? How many times someone listens to a song or a sermon online? How many people are touched by one of our partners here in the region or, or around the world? Thousands of seeds are being sown every week, seeds of grace. And they're made possible by the thousands of financial gifts that come in every week. Seeds of grace need to be sown generously. Well, the next two parables are shorter, but they, they, they round out the picture of how things work in the kingdom of God. Let's skip down to verse 26. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters his seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, 
He puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Now, in this parable, the focus shifts from the sower to the seed, and in particular, to how the seed grows. And it turns out, no one really knows how the seed grows. Night and day, we're told. Whether the farmer is working the field or sleeping in his bed, the seed sprouts and grows, but he does not know how. All by itself, Jesus says, the seed grows slowly, gradually, almost imperceptibly. Beneath the surface, it, it germinates and then breaks through the soil, stretching toward the sky and eventually bearing fruit. Did a little bit of digging, pardon the pun, uh, to see exactly how seeds grow. And it turns out, uh, we, we know a lot more today about how seeds grow than the ancient farmers might have known, but we still don't really know why the seed grows. Why a dry, hard bit of matter suddenly comes to life. There's a mystery about how seeds grow. And that's certainly true in the spiritual realm. Gospel words, gospel actions, gospel gifts can take years to bear any kind of visible fruit. Sometimes it, it looks and feels like, like nothing very significant is happening at all. We came across a story recently from a longtime Kidstown volunteer. She writes, I was sitting in the 915 service one Sunday and saw a student. He looked to be about 16 or 17 years old. When I realized that he was one of my former students in Kidstown many years ago, I started to weep. He was in the service with his father or grandfather, listening attentively and praising God and saying amen to the things that Pastor Brian was saying. It was so encouraging to see that the work for the Lord is not in vain, and when it's done with love, it brings real fruit. <laughs> we were reminded of the mysterious growth of the seed last week when we heard reports from our global and regional mission partners. Week by week, year after year, we put our gifts in the offering plate or, or online. A little bit at a time, they get distributed to our ministries and to our partners. Most of us have, have no idea where each of those dollars goes, and we rarely, if ever, get to see how in particular they're being used. But then we come to a Global Awareness Sunday, and we hear Uncle George tell us that they've graduated 3,000 church leaders and planted 700 churches in North India in the past 20 years. Emmanuel Gospel Center has settled dozens of Afghan families here in Greater Boston. Jesus Savior Church in Moldova has cared for 2,000 refugees from the war in Ukraine. That's how the kingdom grows. That's how seeds of grace bear fruit slowly, gradually, mysteriously. It's the power of God at work in every one of those seeds, every word, every deed, every gift given in Jesus' name has the potential to bear fruit for the kingdom. So according to Jesus, seeds of grace are sown generously and grow mysteriously. But there's a third parable here, another short one that reveals an important truth. It begins in verse 30. Again, he said, 
What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you plant in the ground. Yet when it is planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all the garden plants, with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. We're not going to get hung up here trying to defend the Bible simply because Jesus calls the mustard seed the smallest seed you plant in the ground or the mustard plant the largest of all the garden plants. We know there are smaller seeds and larger plants. The Bible was never meant to be a science textbook. Jesus is simply using a common idiom of the day, figure of speech, to make the point that something very small can become something very large. That's how seeds of grace work. Small gifts over time can bear abundant fruit. We've told the story before about how we acquired the Watertown campus, a church building and property worth millions of dollars. After many months of prayer and discernment and relationship building, the, the remnant of that church decided to sell us their building for $1. Now, when Pastor Tom made that announcement to the Wilmington congregation one Sunday morning, after the service, a 12-year-old came running up to him with a dollar bill in her hand. She said, I want to give the dollar for that campus. <laughs> Years later, there's a thriving congregation in Watertown, and a $1 gift helped make it possible. Now, we all can't trace the dollars we give that directly, but every dollar given to God's, through, God's work through grace or any ministry is like a seed planted in the ground that over time can bear remarkable fruit. As long as we're talking about small beginnings, let's remember that on October 5th, 1948, five couples gathered in a Lexington living room and began a Bible study with the dream of one day starting a church. That handful of people met for seven years without a whole lot happening on the surface, so to speak. But beneath the ground, those seeds were germinating. And on February 12, 1956, they broke through the surface and they held their first public worship service in rented space in Lexington Center. And in May of 1959, 11 years after their first meeting, they purchased land on Worthen Road, built a sanctuary that seated 200 people, and named their church Grace Chapel because they figured it would always be a small, quaint community of believers. Little did they know that the mustard seeds they planted in those early years would one day grow into one of the largest churches in the Northeast, serving thousands of people across six campuses and tens of thousands more through their partners in the far-flung corners of the world. That's how things work in the kingdom of God. Seeds of grace are sown generously, grow mysteriously, and bear fruit abundantly. Every financial gift of any amount given over the course of those 75 years has contributed to the impact that Grace Chapel people and ministries have had on greater Boston, on New England, and on the world. And in two weeks, on November 26th, we'll tell the rest of that story and we'll celebrate all that God has done in those 75 years. And we'll also have an opportunity that Sunday 
to sow seeds for the next 75 years by taking the next step on our generosity journeys. Now, we'll tell you more about what that means and how it'll work next week. But we'd like you to begin today thinking and praying about what seeds of grace the Lord might be asking you to sow in the year and years to come. Well, with with all that in mind, let me give you one more thing to think about. Actually, let Jesus give you one more thing to think about. Let me call your attention to a verse that we skipped over, a verse I don't think I've ever preached on before, so this is my last shot. It's verse 24. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. Wow, (laughs) that's a puzzling statement. What's Jesus getting at here? Well, he's asking us to imagine a merchant in the marketplace, measuring an amount of grain or flour or spice to sell to a customer. And as he measures out that commodity, He can can be stingy and measure out just enough to fill the container, or maybe even a little less than enough. Or he can measure it out generously, filling the container to the brim and, and even over the brim. Jesus is challenging us to think about what kind of sower we will be when it comes to sowing seeds of grace. Will we be a stingy sower? giving just enough or, or, or less than enough? Or will we be generous sowers, giving more than enough, more than we're required to? And he wants us to think about it carefully because here's the thing. The way you give to others is the way it will be given to you. I'll say that again. The way you give to God and others is the way God and others will give to you. I was at Bedford Farms the other day, getting maybe my last outdoor ice cream for the season. I was in line behind an elderly couple, and and they were chatting up the young woman behind the counter. They said something about visiting from New Jersey, but I got the sense they used to live here or at least were familiar with Bedford Farms. And the woman ordered a cup of moose tracks, a good choice. But then she leaned into the window and said, And could you make sure when you scoop it, you get lots of fudge and peanut butter cups? You know, really pack it in, she said. The server smiled and and a few minutes later came back with a mountain of moose tracks dripping with fudgy goodness. And you know what? I think the server who scooped it got as much joy out of the whole thing as the customer who received it. So, So here's the question. What kind of scooper or sower do you want to be? The kind who sows generously, joyfully, almost recklessly? Or the kind who sows sparingly, fearfully, stingily? Think about it, Jesus says. Because the way you give to others is the way it will be given to you. 
Understand, this is not some health and wealth gospel here. Jesus isn't telling us to give more so we'll get more, as if it's some spiritual get-rich-quick scheme. Here's what I think Jesus is getting at. I've known a lot of generous people in my lifetime, in the church and outside the church. And you know what I've noticed about them? They're happy. They're positive. They're content. They're grateful. And people love to be around them. And I'm not just talking about wealthy people here. I'm talking about middle and even lower income people who who are simply generous with what they have. I'm even thinking of people I've met in some of the poorest places on earth. People who aren't sure where their next meal is coming from. And yet with joy and generosity, they're offering me what little they have. I've also known a lot of stingy people in my lifetime, inside and outside the church. And you know what I've noticed about them? They're cranky. They're negative. They're never satisfied. And people don't really enjoy being around them. So so they can't even enjoy what they have. Anybody remember a classic rock song from the 90s? Don't give up. You've got a reason to live. Can't forget. We only get what we give. I don't think the New Radicals had Mark chapter 4 in mind when they wrote that song. But it comes pretty close to what Jesus is telling us. You only get what you give. The measure we use when we give to others is the measure that will be used when joy and contentment and gratitude and love are given to us. And and, and that's why I'm glad to be preaching about money this year. Not only because it's important to Grace Chapel's future, but because it's important to the state of all of our souls. From a discipleship perspective, There's almost nothing I can think of that will grow your faith and love like giving. It would be pastoral malpractice for me to leave without giving you another chance to take your next step on the generosity journey. And in a couple of weeks, we'll have an opportunity to do that. So I'm inviting you to start praying and thinking about it now. Because I promise you, no, Jesus promises you. The more you give, the more you will receive. Give, he says in another place, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for every good gift you've given to us, individually and as a church. Thank you for all the fruit that has come over 75 years of sowing seeds, for the joy it's brought to us and to so many others. May you continue to lead us, Lord, on this journey of generosity, showing each one of us the steps you might have us take. And as we do, may you fill us to overflowing with joy and gratitude and faith. And as we come now to the communion table, may may it remind us of how freely 
you have given us your son and how freely he gave his life for our sake. In Jesus' name, amen.